Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week. We actually only made it halfway through the sermon last week, so we're just going to pick up and finish that out as we look at our purpose in Christ. As we've gone through the book of Ephesians thus far, we've looked at redemption in Christ, growing in Christ, alive in Christ, saved in Christ, one in Christ, meaning that both Jews and Gentiles are now one. They are the church, and so they are one church, and so we have a purpose in Christ. And so that purpose, as we looked at part one last week, we looked at that we are all given the chief purpose of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so that is only possible in Jesus Christ. And so the purpose that we found in this mystery is the mysterious plan of God's sovereign plan over all things, that he had worked an eternal purpose out from the very beginning. He knew that Satan was going to fall. He knew that humans were going to follow right in line and that they would be totally depraved from birth. And so he had a plan from the very beginning that he would send his son to redeem those who were lost. And so he had this mysterious sovereign plan that's uh, we're, we see here in Colossians 1:26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to the saints. It's revealed in Christ. This mystery revealed to us is that we get a grace to give grace. As 1 Peter 4:10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So this mysterious plan that he's had from the very beginning, we now get to partake in as he's given us grace, as we extend grace to others. And that grace is that we are able to share in the, uh, the glory of Christ as fellow heirs, as the same body, as partakers, as we looked at the unification of the church that those are all unified as we used the illustration of making homemade biscuits last week. You can, you can put all the ingredients on the cooking sheet and they can all still be separated. And that's a lot of times how we view the church, that we're all different, we all come in, we're all together, but then we leave. But what he's saying here with this prefix is that we are all joined together, that we have all been mixed together and we've been baked into a great, beautiful product, not a biscuit, but the church. And so we are now inseparable in God's purpose and his plan, that it was God's purpose and God's plan from all of eternity to use the body, his church, for his glory. That's a remarkable, mysterious plan that is only found in Jesus Christ. So as we look at this being played out in the local church, now the local church gets, gets kind of a bad rap sometimes. It's, it's, uh, it's something that a lot of people steer away from. They think, well, I don't need to be a part of the local church, and so it's kind of pushed away. But the local church serves a purpose. What is the purpose of the local church? Well, real quick, the purpose of the local church is the corporate worship and glorification of God. Number one, what is the purpose of us gathering here today? It's to glorify God. If you came in for any other reason than to glorify God, you came in for the wrong reason. Today, we are gathered together to worship and exalt the one who deserves all praise and all glory. And this is why what we sing matters. That when we sing worship songs, we sing songs that are Christ-centered, that we sing towards him because of what he's done on our behalf. So we come and we, we sing songs of praise. As Jesus was talking to the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the question of worship came up. Well, should we worship here or should we worship there? And he says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is looking for true worshipers, those who long to glorify him, and they can only do it in spirit 
being given the Spirit and in truth in Christ. And so it's not you worship here or you worship there in this building or this mountain or, or wherever it is, is that you are now worshipers of God because of what Christ has done on your behalf. So what is the purpose of the local church? Well, second, it's, it's the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. Why are we here today? Well, we put a main focus on teaching God's Word. It is essential. The local church serves as the platform uh, for preaching and teaching. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 that he needs to preach the Word and be ready in season and out of season. So today we gather to faithfully proclaim the excellencies of Christ that are revealed in His Word. Why are we here? To glorify God, to, to be about His Word. Thirdly, the purpose of the local church is the discipleship and spiritual formation of believers. Through the guidance of pastors and elders and, and church members, we're all individual, individually encouraged to grow in Christ. We spur one another along, as Hebrews says in 10, 24 through 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This happens in the context of the local church. Fourthly, the purpose of a local church is the fellowship and the community among believers. It's that you belong. It provides a place of gathering where you can connect, where you can share your lives, where you can carry one another's burdens. This was evident from the very beginning, the very start of the church in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. From the very beginning of the church, we see that it was birthed, and it was birthed with a fellowship. There was a purpose in gathering together to glorify God, to preach God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were about discipleship and spiritual formation. They were growing, and then they were having this intimate bond with one another where they would share. And then the last one that leads us into part two of our purpose in Christ is the purpose of the local church, church is missions and evangelism. You have a purpose. The local church serves as a launching pad for missions and evangelism. It is from here that we are sent out into a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus Christ. I heard one pastor say, listen, your church is not a cruise ship. It's not a place where you get all your needs met. It's not a place that has the best food, the best entertainment. And if that's the reason you're going to church, then you're going to church for the wrong reason. It shouldn't be that. He said it shouldn't even be a, a battleship. You're not supposed to be so far off that you're just kind of launching missiles into a, a lost and dying world. No, you are to be an aircraft carrier where each and every week we send each other out into a world because they desperately need to hear about Jesus. This is the launching pad. So the purpose of the local church is multidimensional. It encompasses worship, teaching, discipleship, fellowship, and missions, all centered on glorifying God and advancing his kingdom. And so the church, yeah, it has a purpose. But that means that we individually carry that purpose as we gather together. We all individually have a ministry purpose 
as the local church. Now, last week we read 1 through 13. I'd like to pick up in verse 7, if you have your Bibles. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, that you called him, that you stopped him on the road, that you saved him, that you led him to be a minister of the gospel, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, to, to preach the, riches, the richness of Christ, that we have all these writings here today, that your word is inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we can be impacted by it and that we can grow in our understanding of it and that you would change us from the inside out as we as we seek to be servants, ministers of the gospel, as we seek to be those who are sent out into a lost world to give hope to those who desperately need hope. Father, for our time today in your word, Lord, we ask that your spirit enlighten us, convict us, and move us towards repentance and response. In Christ's name, amen. Our purpose fulfilled in being a minister of the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul begins right here and says, listen, I've been made a minister by the working of his power. It is by what Christ has done in me that I am now a minister of the gospel. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. And you might say, I, I am not called to do what you're doing. I'm not called to be a minister. I'm not called to, to preach. I'm not called to stand up there. I, I just don't feel like that's my calling. But listen, we're all called to be ministers. And the reason I'm going to say that is because in the Greek here, the word minister is not talking about a certain um, you know, office in the church. It's, it's the word diakonos, which is just servant. This is also where we get the word deacon from. He says, listen, I was made a servant by the power of Christ. I, I was humbled on the road. I have been made a servant, a servant of a king, a deacon, a waiter, one who serves food and drink. So listen, every single one of us has a perfect purpose in ministry as being a servant of the gospel. We carry the gospel to the tables. We lay it before people's feet. We say, listen, this is, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we are servants. It's by God's grace. And by God's grace in this context... And the aspect of grace given to a follower of Christ, the ministry is to serve others with the gospel. We have been given grace to serve. So by God's sovereign grace, and in one of his purposes of giving us his saving grace, is that we would be a life that is on display of grace. That we would be a servant. We've all been entrusted with this ministry of the gospel. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see that? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You have a purpose. God has given you a purpose. The grace that he's given you is giving you a grace that you would share this message of reconciliation. He's entrusted you with this message. So the Bible's clear. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is clear. We're all born depraved. We all are sinners from birth. It is, our, it is in our nature that we are sinners. And we live in a world that we can watch continually take a step further and further and further away from God. And we cannot remain quiet. As I'll quote someone I never quote, Kirk Cameron. If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you share it? You have the cure for death. Get out there and share it. We have all been given a purpose, and that purpose is fulfilled when we see ourselves as servants of the gospel. A minister, a servant. I carry a message of reconciliation to a world that is dying. I can't keep it quiet. John MacArthur would say this, reconciliation is by the will of God by an act of forgiveness and also by the obedience of faith. We are ambassadors for Christ in that God uses us to plead with others to be reconciled to God. What's implied in this verse is that sinners have to make a response. Reconciliation is initiated by God, but you have to respond. So God says we must plead with people to acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord because it is by the obedience of faith that they will be reconciled to God. We have been given a purpose to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We are the servants who take the gospel to a world that is lost and dying without him. I read a story about a poet named Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Anybody ever heard of her? I hadn't, so if you haven't, don't feel bad. She was raised by a father who was, who was a tyrannical man at best, and he disapproved of her marriage to Robert Browning. And so they, they got married in secret, and they moved away to Italy. So for the next 10 years or so, she wrote her father letters seeking reconciliation to make the relationship right. She tried to mend the relationship, so she sent letters with incredible poetic writings. And she never heard a response. Finally, about a year before her father's death, she received a box in the mail from her father. And to her excitement, she opened the box to find that every single letter she had written was unopened and mailed back to her. Devastating. These letters now serve as some of the most beautiful writings in all of English literature. But the one that they were intended for never read them. Listen, you have this beautiful gift, this love letter. You have the fact that Jesus Christ in the flesh came to show the love of, of God. 
and it's intended for people to hear. And so we are to be servants to take that. We're the, we're the mailman in the story, right? We're the ones that get to deliver the mail. Listen, this is God's mail. He loves you. It says in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We have a beautiful love message that is to be received. We've been given the responsibility to carry that. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's God's mysterious plan to use his church for his glory. And part of that mysterious plan is to use us as his messengers of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. And so we carry a purpose in being a minister, a diakonos, a servant. God gave us a ministry and entrusted us with a message. And it is both a gift and a responsibility. It's a stewardship. So let me ask you, do you realize... The gift of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation is given to you for you to minister to others. As Henry Blackaby said, sin breaks our relationship with God. It severs relationships with others as well. Broken relationships are the epidemic of our day. Sin alienates family members, separates friends, divides churches, and destroys marriages. Sin creates mistrust, jealousy, hatred, and greed, all of which devastate relationships. Only Christ has the remedy for the disastrous effect of sin on human relationships. As his ambassadors, we are to take the message of reconciliation to a broken, divided world. We urge reconciliation first with God and then with each other. How tragic when God's messengers of peace harbor enmity toward each other. It is a travesty to carry a message of love and yet be filled with hatred. If there is someone whom you refuse to forgive... Your message of reconciliation is hypocrisy. The church has a purpose of reconciliation, being a minister of reconciliation, a servant that goes and shares the love of Christ. And if we are harboring for unforgiveness and hatred and enmity towards other people, how can we fulfill the purpose that he has for us? So we have a purpose that is fulfilled in being a minister of the gospel. And two, our purpose is fulfilled in the ministry of proclaiming the gospel. It's not that we just carry it, but we must speak it. There's a proclamation that must go out. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I am the very least of all the saints. The Apostle Paul reveals his honest feelings about himself here, doesn't he? I'm, I'm the worst. If you put me up against everyone else, I, I'm coming in last. He says to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me, though I, I'm a sinner like no other. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, listen, I stood in approval of people's murder because they followed Christ. I was the one that was dragging people by the hair into prisons. I was the one that was persecuting the church and persecuting Jesus Christ. And yet now I'm called an apostle. 
I'm going to have the things that I write, the letters I write, put in Scripture. They're holy and divinely inspired. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This gives us a glimpse into how Paul saw himself. He saw himself as unworthy. I'm unworthy of the grace. I'm unworthy of salvation. I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm the least of the saints. The closer we walk with God, the more aware we become of our sinfulness. And I, I can't think of a person other than Paul that w- would say, look how close he is to Christ. But he was so aware of how sinful he really was. The more aware we are of our sinfulness, the more desperate we are for Christ. Stephen Cole puts it, the point is the unfathomable riches of Christ are only offered to those who see themselves as poverty-stricken sinners. How do you see yourself today? Until you see how sinful you really are, you will not see how unsearchably rich Jesus Christ is. Only the humble have hearts prepared to proclaim the good news. Because if you're not humble, you won't preach dependence on God. If you're haughty, you'll simply preach do's and don'ts because of God. How often we've preached do's and don'ts and we've not preached dependency on God. Paul begins this with, I'm not worthy. And then he says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, to preach. Did you know you're called to preach? That might be scary for some of you. Public speaking, evidently, is one of the most scary things anyone can do. Evidently. (laughs) To preach. You're called to preach. The word preach here is... Evangelizo, which is evangelize, to announce good news, especially the gospel. You are called to be an evangelist. This is God's purpose and plan for you, that you are to be a minister, a servant of the gospel, carrying a message, and now that you carry the message, you're called to proclaim the message. You're not just to, to live a, a good life and hope that people figure it out. You're to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And in honor of the late Tim Keller, who passed away this week to be with his Lord and Savior, let me share a quote from him. The Greek word evangelizo means to gospelize, to tell people the good news about what Jesus did for us. And in the book of Acts, literally everyone in the early church does it. Not only the apostles, but every Christian did evangelism. And they did so endlessly. Passages such as Romans 15, 14. Colossians 3.16, 1 Thessalonians 1.6-10, Hebrews 3.13 and 1 John 2.20 and 27 indicate that every Christian was expected to evangelize, follow up, nurture, and teach people the word. This happened relationally. One person bringing the gospel to another within the context of a relationship. In Michael Green's seminal evangelism in the early church, he conveys the conclusion of historians that early Christianity's explosive growth was in reality accomplished 
by means of informal missionaries. That is, Christian lay people, not trained preachers and evangelists. They carried on the mission of the church, not through formal preaching, but informal conversations in homes and wine shops, on walks and around market stalls. They did it naturally and enthusiastically. Oh, there's a plan and there's a purpose. And that purpose is for us to be those who carry the message. We evangelize, we preach Christ. So I must ask myself, and I think you must ask yourself, how can I integrate evangelism into my daily life and interactions with others naturally and enthusiastically? How can I do this naturally and enthusiastically without it looking like I'm trying to sell you a used car? How can I naturally and enthusiastically work the gospel into every conversation that I have? Because that's the purpose of my life. In what ways can I demonstrate a genuine love and care for those that are around me so that I seek to share the gospel? That way, you know that I'm having this conversation with you because I desperately love and care for you. Not because you're someone I need to check off my list of people I've visited or talked to or said, well, at least I tried. No, there should be an enthusiastic, natural outpouring of my love for Christ because I'm humbled because I'm a, I'm a sinner and I don't deserve to be here. But let me tell you about the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. How can I intentionally engage in conversations that open opportunities for sharing the good news? Maybe I need to begin praying, God, give me a deeper love for you. Give me a deeper desire to share you with others. Give me an ability to walk in a wisdom that is beyond my understanding. As Paul says in Colossians 4, 5 through 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As we leave, as we go out from here, there's a purpose in our life, and it is to be a minister of the gospel, to serve others, the message of reconciliation. But that means we need to proclaim. We need to evangelize. We need to be able to open our mouths with grace and seasoned with salt. Evangelism is a privilege, but it's also a responsibility entrusted to every believer. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What are we to preach? We are to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. What will I say? How do I begin? Isn't there a program or something I can take so I know what to say when I get in that conversation? What if you just are so enamored by the unsearchable riches of Christ that you can't help but talk about them? We are to preach the unsearchable, meaning it can't be fully comprehended. It can't be fully explored. There's no words that we can use to to even explain how great Christ is. His riches means that they're true, they're lasting, they're eternal, and they are full of spiritual wealth that we can even fathom. We are to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. To quote Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says about Paul, the apostle, he's particularly concerned that the Ephesian Christians should realize that all the benefits which 
they were now enjoying as fellow heirs with the Jews had come to them through the gospel which had been preached and of which he was a minister. He said, I want you to realize that everything you're experiencing now is because it was preached to you. And here he gives a wonderful picture of the Christian ministry as a divine calling. Conceivably, this is perhaps the first thing that Christian church needs to recapture at this present time. That the church counts for so little in the modern world is largely the result of her failure to realize the origin and the character of her ministerial calling. The business of any man who claims to have been called to be a minister, a servant of the gospel, is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He is not simply to preach about current events. It is not the business of the Christian church to preach patriotism. Neither is it the business to preach simply a general public morality or some general ethic. There's been much of this during the last hundred years, and the ministry has become less and less prophetic. Christianity has become more and more diluted and consequently ineffective. The business of Christianity is not to produce perfect little gentlemen. The world can preach morality and ethics and has done so for various ways. The philosophers can do it so, and it has been done. The Jews, the first century Jews in AD were teaching morality, and the pagan philosophers had been preaching morality before Paul was ever called into the ministry. But Paul was not called to preach morality. He was called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Yet further, the business of the preacher of the gospel is not merely to preach religion, not even religion, not even godliness in general. Judaism had been preaching the importance of religion and the vital importance of godliness. Let me go a little further. It is not the primary business of a preacher of the gospel even to tell people to pray or to conform to a certain standard of disciplining themselves. Mohammedism does that and does so very effectively indeed. It preaches a very stern discipline. It preaches a worship of God, but that's not Christianity. What are we to preach? Primarily and essentially the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The riches are the unsearchable riches of Christ. The essence of the gospel is Christ and what he gives to us, not what we do, not what he asks us to do. That comes later. The obvious beginning and essence of the gospel is what he gives us and what we receive from him. We receive grace. We receive Christ. We all have a purpose. Our purpose is fulfilled in being ministers of the gospel. Our purpose is fulfilled in proclaiming the gospel. And thirdly, our purpose is fulfilled in the ministry of displaying the gospel. As we close, let's read these verses 10 through 13. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. What a remarkable statement. The manifold wisdom of God. What is the manifold wisdom of God? Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Oh, what is the manifold wisdom of God made known through the church? Well, number one, it's unsearchable. 
The manifold wisdom of God is unsearchable, meaning the term manifold indicates a variety, complexity, and richness of God's wisdom, implying that it is not limited to a single dimension or aspect. It highlights the multifaceted nature of God's wisdom and the different ways in which it is revealed and expressed. It is unfathomable. It is unsearchable, but it is realized in Christ. God's manifold wisdom is Christ realized. The manifold wisdom of God is revealed through his redemptive plan in Jesus Christ as well as through the workings of his spirit in the life of the church. So, the manifold wisdom of God is a reflection of his infinite perfection, his divine nature, his immeasurable grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and his intention to display his glory through the workings of his church. That's a lot. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying this, that we, the church, the local body of believers, are to be the display of God's wisdom and glory to the angelic powers for the praise of his name. What Christ is doing in his church is to display the gospel so that he gets more worship in heaven. Wow. That is a mystery. That he would do something in his body, in his church, that is so remarkable and so unfathomable and so unsearchable that the angels in heaven would say, you're doing that and give him praise and glory. And you play a crucial part in this. You play a crucial part in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 15. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving, not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your life, this church, has an eternal purpose. You play a crucial role in manifesting the wisdom of Christ in you. That you are playing a role that the church and your life's purpose is to glorify God, to proclaim and display the immeasurable riches found only in Christ. Your life is a ministry on display to unveil the manifold wisdom of God, which is Christ in you. As John MacArthur, in with this quote, he says, the church does not exist simply for the purpose of saving souls, though that is a marvelous and important work. The supreme purpose of the church, as Paul makes explicit here, is to glorify God by manifesting his wisdom before the angels who can then offer greater praise to God. The purpose of the universe is to give glory to God and that will be the ultimate reality after all evil is conquered and destroyed. The church 
is not an end in itself, but a means to an end. The end of glorifying God. Redeemed people, then, are to enhance angelic praise and someday in heaven, join in it. Your life has purpose. He has a plan. It's an eternal purpose, an eternal plan. He's working out. It's his sovereign plan to redeem a people for himself, for all for his glory. And you get to play a crucial role in that, if you know him. Have you responded to his love letter? Have you responded to Jesus Christ? If not, I I beg of you and I implore you today, be reconciled to God. 